Welcome to the City of Plantations podcast. I am Carrie Blanchard, Battalion Chief of Public Affairs for the Plantation Fire Department. Thank you for tuning in. Our podcast is designed to keep you up to date on all the latest happenings and activities in, about, and around the City of Plantation. On our episodes, we talk directly with the leaders, decision makers, and the movers and shakers who make the Plantation the great city that it is. On this episode of the City of Plantations podcast, We're going to be talking about tips regarding summertime issues. Uh, So you could call this our summertime messaging for the residents of Plantation. And Carrie and I are honored to have our very own Caitlin Murphins with us today, who is not only our community outreach coordinator, but she is also a certified lifeguard, a certified swim instructor, and a certified pool water safety specialist or something like that? I guess you could say so when you become a lifeguard and a a swim instructor. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I want to kind of start a little different today. I want to start with one question. If you had one single message to give to our residents and our listeners about swim, pool, water safety, what would that one message be? Every child should learn how to swim. Get them into swim lessons as soon as you can. Um, starting off at six months old, they can start going to swim lessons, doing mommy and me classes. You know, just be proactive. So you think overwhelmingly that is the most bang for the buck, basically. Get kids learning how to swim early. Yes. Very good. So talk to us a little bit about... Um, some of the other things besides just swim instruction. Well, I guess we can also talk about swim instruction. Like what resources are there out there? I'm a parent and I have a two-year-old and I want my two-year-old to start swimming or maybe even a one-year-old. Where do I go? Where do I find the resources for that? You can definitely go to um, Swim Central, which is um, provided by Broward County. They have a lot of resources, even um, the USA Swimming. Um, I used to be a swimmer. I swam all through middle school, elementary, middle school, and high school, and I did some college as a professional swimmer. And you can go on those websites, and they advocate all about uh, pool safety, water safety, and everything. So that would be a good starting point. Great starting point. Very good. Besides swim instruction, what are some other things that parents can do to make bodies of water and backyard pools and lakes safer for their children? Well, one, keeping, you know, eye on your children because one second they're there and the next second they can be, be gone. So that's really important, especially around pools. You should have a fence. Um, you can get mesh fences, and there's even um, fences where they lay over the pool. It's like an, it's a net. Um, pool alarms, uh, alarms on the door, uh, making sure you're uh, the Dog doors have locks on them so the kids don't crawl out. Uh, with technology nowadays, they even have a device that you can put at your pool, and if it makes a wave or a splash, any type of ripple, the alarms go off. Okay. And they notify you that something's in the water, you know. Right. Kay- now, excuse me. No. Kaylin, no. I know that you said that pool fences and things like that, but I guess the key to that is to actually use them. Yes, a lot of people know it's required by law for people to have them, mm-hmm. but a 
lot of people, it's inconvenient and cumbersome, so they don't use them. Right. So I, I think we need to stress the importance of actually turning it on and putting the fence up and locking the fence. Our children do what we do. They, they kind of see how you open the gate. So if it's not locked properly, it defeats the purpose. Yes, and it defeats the purpose of even having one. You know, it takes 20 seconds for a child to drown. You know, that's it. It takes an average adult 60 seconds to drown. You know, if you take that one extra second, millisecond, whatever, that your child's not going to, you know, drown. It's very important. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, Carrie, Caitlin, what do we tell all of our people when we're talking about what they should do during time change? What should they do in their house? Oh, check, check their battery. Yeah, check your batteries, check smoke detectors. So I think, right, that's the same philosophy with any electronic pool devices or alarms is make sure the batteries are charged, yes. make sure that they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Just to put into perspective what we're talking about, after birth defects in the United States, drowning is the number one cause of death for children between the ages of one and four. Uh, that's pretty significant. And I know from uh, an EMS division perspective at the fire department that every summer we see, unfortunately, we see some drownings in our city. And most of them are in backyard pools where, you know, the child fell in and no one noticed. Uh, We've had it one or two in the canals and the lakes and some of our uh, communities or neighborhoods. So uh, I think we need to be very aware of that. On top of the resource that Caitlin mentioned, The American Academy of Pediatrics is also a very good resource. We actually printed out some infographics. They have a large selection of infographics that give a lot of information. So that would be another source. And that website is uh, www.aap.org. And anybody can just go on there and and look at it. Talking about drownings, there's just a couple things I wanted to, to bring up from a medical perspective. We have drownings which are usually seen as conventional drowning. Someone falls in the water, they're submerged, they inhale a large volume of water, stop breathing, death ensues shortly after. Like Caitlin mentioned, it can happen very, very quickly. We also have uh, atypical drownings, and we refer to those as submersion injuries. Those come in two types, two categories. We have our dry drowning and our secondary drowning. And our dry drowning is usually when a small amount of water enters the mouth or the nasal cavity, it can create spasms of the airway. Those spasms can seal off the airway and make it impossible to breathe. And individuals can actually die from that medical situation. The secondary drownings are more long-term. So this would be an individual who fell into the water and inhaled a small amount of water and was pulled from the water, and then that water created inflammation and swelling in the lungs, reducing the lungs' capability to exchange oxygen and and make that whole process happen. So the point that that I think we need to touch on, Caitlin and Carrie, is that any type of submersion in a pool where rescue is necessary necessitates what? Transport. Yeah. I would definitely, medical care from a physician or a professional because there's after effects. It's not just at the moment that child may appear fine or an adult, anybody. They may appear to be fine, but they need treatment. Yeah, and they need to be assessed 
in a medical facility where chest x-rays can be done, a physician can assess them, their oxygen levels can be monitored, right, Caitlin, mm-hmm. you agree? Yes, I agree totally because as being a lifeguard, you only have basic skills. You don't have the resources where a rescue can take them to the hospital or their moms take them to the doctor to get a full you know, workup to make sure they're okay. We don't right. have an x-ray machine or anything that goes, oh, come here. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no portable unit there at the poolside or no, at the... I don't think that's in the city budget. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple points to talk about if a child does need to be pulled out of the pool and what type of signs and symptoms parents can look for to determine if that child is in distress. So the the first thing is that physically having to remove a child from the pool, right? right. Automatically that's a medical emergency. Nine one one should be initiated if at the very least, to have a field assessment done and determine what the condition of the child is. Parents can look for coughing. They can look for increased work of breathing. In children, sometimes that can be elusive. So what we're looking for is uh, telltale signs of respiratory distress in children would be nasal flaring or grunting. It's, those are very common symptoms from respiratory distress. Sleepiness, forgetfulness, change of behavior, uh, and throwing up can be a sign of stress as well. Now, some of these signs that I've mentioned, right, kids have all the time. So what we're talking about is in conjunction with needing to be rescued out of a pool, not just without that, right? Right. Right. Okay. And um, so we talked about swim lessons. We talked about some devices. We talked about supervision. Caitlin, do you want to expand on supervision and really what that means, not just in the, uh, in the home, but also out and about? Yeah, also about, you know, summertime beaches, try to swim where there's lifeguards, you know, be careful, look at the flags, you know, make sure there's no rip currents and everything, you know, you don't want it to be too crazy, especially if you have a child who's one, not a strong swimmer, or two, does not know how to swim, put a life jacket on them. You know, when you get a life jacket, you want to look for the UL uh, stamp on there and it's done by it's tested by the coast guard and i know you being a coastie you know i'm very big on life jackets my four-year-old she has a life jacket i'm very like definitely about that i know that you're talking about the life jackets i know a lot of people put the little butterfly things on the all the arms, water wings the water wings the, what's the story with that and i don't believe those are approved I, I, are no those? i i dislike them so much they do not help children especially you know being in sunny south florida with the sun and everything you put sunblock on your you know your kids and it once they get into the water it gets slippery and once it gets slippery those water wings can go to their wrist and when they get to their wrist they can go down and kids don't have that upper body strength yet you know even though they seem tough they don't and then trying to pull themselves out of the water You know, it's hard for them, you know, that can also cause drowning with those water wings. So I do not recommend them whatsoever. I always tell a parent life jacket, UL symbol, that way it's tested and everything. Right. And boating, right? I mean, so I'll talk, I'll put on my, my long time ago hat and say that when you're out in a boat, make sure that the children are all in life vests, which is the law anyway. It's a requirement. Make sure that you have an eye on them so they're not falling overboard. Make sure that they're not bow riding, right? Bow riding, which we all love to do for children, is illegal and and can result in a fine 
if the Coast Guard sees that occurring. So uh, keep that in mind. But boating safety definitely in South Florida, so many boats and it's beautiful out and people want to get out there and, and I don't blame them. I want to circle back for one second because I think we talked about swim lessons, but I think maybe we can expand on that because for really, really young children, they're not learning how to swim, right? No, they're learning how to survive in case they ever fall into a pool. Um, there's a technique that uh, some instructors are using that are called turn, kick, reach, where you pull the child in, you show them how to turn around, kick to the wall, and reach for the wall and pull themselves out. And also the log roll, where if they fall in, they roll over and they float. And I've had a, a child float for five minutes wow. by themselves. Like, yeah. I'm obviously there, but, you know, and also during those classes, um, we have them even get into their normal clothes. If they're at their grandmother's house um, or a friend's house, just anywhere if there's a pool or if they're at a party, you know, they know what to do. Right. So that's very important. And once they progress and they get, you know, stronger and what, and all that, they can finally become stronger swimmers. You know, my sister, I taught her how to swim and she was five years old swimming um, Olympic lengths of the pool. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I sing the song, I'm a little turtle lying on, on my, my back. back. Yep. I, I think I sang that to my children when yeah. they were learning and, how and, to float. And the twinkle, twinkle, <laughs> little star. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. So, you guys, what else? What other consideration? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Carrie. I just wanted to mention that um, I know that we're talking about recreation stuff with beaches, and but I just want to circle back to the fact that there are bodies of water all around us. Yes. Right. And ultimately, it's about supervision. The kids can get away from us at any moment, just turn around and they're doing something. Right. So you got to be aware that there's lakes and canals. We're just surrounded by water. Mm -hmm. um, a pool is, on the most part, should be easy enough. You put a pool fence, but, you know, we have canals behind our houses or lakes. But we got to make sure that we protect them from that. And in talking about supervision, you know, we have to have people that are competent. And I, right. I, I know it sounds harsh, but if you're on your phone and you're looking at Facebook, you cannot be watching a child that is swimming or walking around the body of water. So you want to make sure that you are actually physically watching the child at all times and learn CPR. I cannot stress that enough. Yeah. Yes. We need to learn CPR because bad things do happen. Yeah. And the your chance of saving someone is with CPR right, until right. Um, paramedics can arrive. Yeah, what I also tell parents and also the children is that I get in the pool first. I tell them, I said, you don't go in the pool until your mother or your father tell you it's okay to, or myself, the swim instructor, tell you it's okay. You get in the water before, we're going to sit down, and we're going to wait five minutes, and then we're going to try it again. Yeah. You know, okay. I'm a very big believer on that. You wait until a parent goes in. Build some discipline for yeah. them. Yes, yeah. big time. Yeah. Big discipline. And, you know, also, you know, talking about bodies of water, even at home, you know, besides if you, if you don't have a pool, if kids in the bathtub, right. you know, you need to watch them in the bathtub. I get it. My daughter loves to be a mermaid in the bathtub. You know, I hear clunking and clinging and I'm sitting right there. But, you know, but if I walk away and I hear clunking and clinging, I'm thinking she's, you know, still playing. But what happens if she knocked her head? Right. You know, be careful how you fill the bathtub and everything. But watch. You got to keep your eyes. Yeah, got to keep your eyes on them. Can't allow yourself to be distracted. We're all, you know, we live in a day and an age where we're, there are tons of distractions, a lot more than 
years ago and it's easy to get a phone call get a text take your eyes off your children and unfortunately that's when tragedy can strike so that's a very very good point all right anything else about uh water safety swimming pool safety no what other uh what other things are we concerned about over the summertime Heat stroke. Heat injuries, right? Yeah, heat injuries. Heat injuries, right? The big thing with heat injuries, I think the biggest thing, and I'm going to let Carrie kind of expand on this a little bit, but the big thing is it it really all boils down to staying hydrated. If you maintain your level of hydration and take into account the amount of sweat that you're going to be uh, expelling because of the heat out, you really need to replenish that. And if you don't, you're going to be susceptible to heat emergencies or heat injuries. One of the things to consider specifically about South Florida is that normal cooling mechanism where we sweat, air comes over your skin, it evaporates, it cools your skin down, which cools your core temperature down is, that process has a hard time above 60% humidity, right? And right now where we're looking at afternoon storms, we're like in the 80s or low 90s. So you know, that evaporation process is going to be slow to occur. You're going to stay hot. Your core temperature is going to increase. And if we're not hydrating and staying on top of that, we could have some problems. So, Carrie, talk us through the the different types of heat injuries that, that we're looking at, like as a continuum. Well, it starts with heat cramps. That's like the first level. Um, usually when starts when you're dehydrated. Includes cramps in the stomach, arms, and your leg muscles. It comes from a depletion of salts and fluids in the body. Okay. Um, you can you can drink water or electrolytes to replenish. The main thing is to stop what you're doing. Right. To cool off if you can. Right. Um, if you're exercising, if you're you know cutting the grass, working, whatever you're doing, stop what you're doing. You want to put yourself if you can into a cool area, right. air condition if possible. Um, you want to stretch the affected muscles and if possible, cool off before you go back to doing what you were doing. Right. Um, and from there, it can progress. Uh, it's called heat exhaustion. This is obviously the symptoms are worse. Includes weakness, fatigue, nausea and vomiting, and fainting. Again, as always, you want to move to a cool area. That's mm-hmm. the first thing you want to stop what you're doing and move to a cool area. Remove sure. your, your tight clothing. And again, fluids, right. electrolytes, water, if that's all you have, that's fine. You want to apply cooling um, measures such as a fan or a, a cooling towel or something like that, or water if, if you ca- if you can. And you definitely want to seek medical attention. Right, at this point, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's gone a little too far at this yeah. point. Yeah. And then finally is heat stroke, which is the most severe. This is, people can die from this. People do die from this. It's an acute medical condition and you need to get treatment. When your core temperature is above 104 degrees, uh, symptoms are nausea, seizures, confusion, and disorientation. Some people are unconscious or in a coma. You'd want to call 911. Right definitely away. Um, Right away. You want to monitor the core temperature and immersion in a cold bath. Right. Obviously, remove the clothing, the ice packs if possible, or a cooling towel or anything like that. What you want to do is bring down the body uh, temperature. Right, the internal core. Now, you had mentioned electrolytes and... Uh, what would that be? I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, you know, out there exercising or I'm out there cutting my lawn and I hear electrolytes. I mean, you know, what is that? So what would be a common Gatorade? Gatorade. I would definitely recommend the low sugar type, but um, Gatorade, Pedialyte, I believe that Pedialyte's marketing to adults now also used to be for kids, but you know, replenishes your electrolytes also. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
I mean, that, that is a very good, uh, a, a good message to come across. And the thing to keep in mind here too, is that, you know, a couple points to add on top to avoid these heat injuries. Keep in mind, dark clothing it attracts heat from the sun. So it's going to absorb heat and it's going to retain it. The sun, right? We have a sun index in South Florida because some days the sun is much more powerful than other days. So, you know, we want to think about that. And obviously, if I were to think of any time where the heat and the humidity and the sun all play a factor, it would be in that daily raining sunshine, raining sunshine. So right after it rains, there's a bunch of fluid on the ground. That's going to create humidity off the roads and the roadways and the sidewalks. That humidity is going to go up. The sun's going to come out. And it's already, you know, it's 90 degrees to begin with. So uh, that trifecta there is going to make you a lot more susceptible. Fitness level can play a role. Age can play a role. Uh, Hydration level, which Carrie talked about, can play a role. And preparing, right? So if I know that I'm going to go out and compete in a Monster Mudder run, and I've never done that before, for the days before that race, I should be overhydrating, right? And so we talk about how much should I drink, right? So here's a a standard. It's not set in stone, but the average is 32 ounces of water a day. That that's the goal that we should all be striving for. You can monitor your hydration level. And I know this is kind of an awkward conversation, (laughs) but by monitoring your urine output and looking at the color of your urine. So Uh, very, very dark yellow or even yellow, yellow urine can be indicative of dehydration. Whereas a more uh, light colored yellow to white is what we're looking for as a, as a optimal hydration, optimal hydration. Thank you. Very good. So, um, and then some other things are uh, high body fat, fever, medications, and individuals with sickle cell trait can all be more susceptible to heat emergencies. And yeah, Carrie's making the motion to me, so I'm going to let her talk about it. But there's one more thing that happens in South Florida, especially along all the beaches and clubs and stuff like that and that is alcohol yeah alcohol consumption of alcohol increases the susceptibility to heat injuries right and And we do it and dehydration and even if you're not in the sun the night before you go out drinking and then the next day you're in the sun you're just still not properly hydrated because it dehydrates you right so again drink lots of water uh, monitor your hydration level a little bit of pre-planning right maybe uh, don't go out at the hottest part of the day to do to mow the lawn or to edge or do that type of stuff. Maybe wait till the evening or the early morning. Caitlin, what else do we need to think about here? Being safe around the water. Learn the rules. If someone's drowning and don't go in, reach you know, and go. That's a great point. Why don't you cover? I'm driving down the road and I notice someone fall into the canal. Besides calling 911, which should be the very first thing you do. What do I do after that? The best thing to do is if you don't see anything where you can, you know, throw to them where you can reach them in a safe distance, you never want to go in because when someone's panicking panicking and drowning, they're going to hold on to anything and everything and they're going to pull you down with them because they're panicking. Um, the safe thing to do is if you can't throw something to help them is keep an eye on them. Right. Keep an eye on them. Whenever, you know, EMS gets there, police, fire, they, you know, when they get there, you show them 
you know, where they went down or you follow, you know, keep your eye on the person at all times. One of the tricks that we used to use in the Coast Guard to do man overboard drills or even affect rescues with people in the water is as soon as we sighted them, we would point at them and we would continue to point at them. And so that serves a couple purposes. One, your finger turns into a visual reminder for you of where you saw them. So if they submerge, you're still kind of in the general vicinity. And two, anybody else who's showing up sees you pointing and can focus in on that location. So, you know, that might be something that, that you know, some of our people could utilize. But, Big yeah, time. the going in the water yeah. is definitely probably a no-no for the majority of people, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you have specific training. Yes. Yeah. All right. What else, you guys? What What else do we need to to talk about? I think there was one more thing you wanted to talk about, Carrie. I just wanted to mention the cars, the high heat in cars. It's been said before, but check the back seat. If you have your children in there, don't put your animals in there and close the window thinking you're going to go in somewhere for five minutes. Five minutes turns into 20 minutes, and it doesn't even take that long. It just takes a few minutes. When in South Florida heat, it, the cars can easily reach 150 degrees, so definitely want to avoid that and right. checking the back seat is the best way to do it right and not to mention leaving your animals in a hot car without the ac on and the windows up is a crime in it south is. florida it is. so all right you guys anything else we want to talk about no no thank you all right well thank you very much caitlin thanks Chief. thanks for coming in and sharing your wisdom with us we appreciate it thank you caitlin and uh you guys be safe and have a great day Yes. You've been listening to the City of Plantation podcast. We strive to bring you accurate and timely information. Please continue to tune in to our podcast episodes and also catch up with us on social media, including Twitter, Facebook, and Nextdoor. If you have questions, send them to askcityhall at plantation.org and we will answer your questions directly. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast and stay safe, everyone.